This episode of Crosscut Talks is supported by Alaska Airlines. Hey, welcome to Crosscut Talks. I'm Mark Bumgarten, the managing editor at Crosscut. And today we're talking about the integrity of our elections. The security of the ballot and the ability to access it has been the subject of a lot of headlines recently. Just this past week, for instance, two major pieces of voting rights legislation died in the Senate. But the integrity of the ballot has been an issue in the United States for over five years now. It's become a major source of national anxiety. And for some, Washington state is a kind of antidote. Its mail-in voting system standing as a model during the 2020 election for states looking at ways to assure access and security for their voters. Providing the state with some additional credibility on what has become a divisively partisan issue was the fact that an experienced Republican, Kim Wyman, oversaw the process. Actually, Republicans have overseen Washington elections for more than 50 years. But when Wyman was tapped by the Biden administration to work on its election security efforts this past fall, that streak came to an end. Governor Jay Inslee appointed Steve Hobbs, a state senator, to the post. When he did, the governor touted Hobbs's status as a moderate Democrat, whose record of bipartisanship, the governor said, made him a good pick for an office accustomed to Republican occupants. It's worth noting, though, that as a state senator, Hobbs did serve as a roadblock for some of the governor's top priorities. So, Secretary Hobbs enters the office without the election experience of Wyman, and he faces an election landscape rife with mistrust and malevolent actors. He's got a tough job. Oh, and he's also going to have to find time to campaign for his new job. He's running this year to finish out Wyman's term, which ends in 2024. So we invited Secretary Hobbs to our monthly Northwest Newsmakers series to talk with me about what he plans to do in his new role, what threats face Washington state's election system, and whether he thinks moderate Democrats are getting a fair shake. One other thing to note here, at the time of our conversation, the two voting rights bills were technically still alive, though their fate was almost certain. I hope you enjoy the conversation. If you have any feedback, please send it to talks at crosscut.com. Okay, on with the show. Secretary Hobbs, welcome to Northwest Newsmakers. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for uh, having me on the show. Uh, so that's a lot to take on. Um, so tell me first, what are the threats that you see in Washington state when it comes to election security and integrity? Well, first of all, it's the cybersecurity that is under threat. Uh, Kim Wyman did an excellent job of setting up the office, an office of cybersecurity, and we're going to move forward and enhance that. Uh, there are threats both inside and outside our state and the United States, and we have to be ready for those threats. So I'll be expanding the office and increasing and enhancing our relationships with the National Guard. Because here in Washington state, we are blessed to have a National Guard unit that is strong in cybersecurity. The other threat that we have is combating misinformation and disinformation. So what we will do is lean forward, as we say in the military, lean forward in the saddle 
and instead of sitting back and allowing a tweet to become a retweet, becoming a meme, and all of a sudden people believe in a false narrative of the elections. We need to combat this right away because as you can tell, and as the viewers have seen what happened in January 6th, people are starting to see our election system is not valid, at least a, fact, a fraction of the population. And so, for example, I always throw this example out to some of our members in the, in the legislature. Let's say Bad Voter 29 tweets out that they saw ballot box stuffing in some uh, drop box in Yakima County. And we can go and check out Yakima County, ask the auditor there, ask the sheriff's department and see what the truth is. And if we find out that it's false, then we can immediately report it and stop it before it becomes a meme. Uh, we even had an incident here in Washington State several years ago where a county auditor simply wanted to have more ballot box uh, ballot boxes, drop boxes, and unfortunately he didn't have enough. So he picked up ballot boxes in another county, got hungry as he was delivering the ballot boxes in his pickup truck at the Olympia Mall, and then went in and got a, a burger, and then all of a sudden people took pictures of his truck with these ballot boxes, right? So mm -hmm. can you imagine, if you will, it, the tweet got out of hand and, and our outside competitors, nation states who are not our friends, took that and ran with it. That's why we have to be proactive in this. Hmm. The other thing we need to do is educate our public about, is that tweet real? Maybe before you retweet it, you should see if that tweet is actually on the main new, news channel. And so it's a combination of things that we need to do to guarantee the security of our elections. So that's really a, you know, a, a very different role from the Secretary of State office than it was maybe 10, 20, certainly 20 years ago. Um, uh, and you've said before that you want to prioritize uh, fighting misinformation. And in his proposed budget, uh, the governor is requesting $5 million for your office to fight misinformation and to, quote, restore trust in elections and reach disengaged voters. Is that enough money to get the job done? Uh, we believe it is. And fortunately, we have friends in the legislature and the governor's office that if it isn't, obviously, we can try to ask for an increase. But what we need to do, again, is create a system in which we can actively go after the, this misinformation that happens on Facebook or, or a tweet. But the other thing we need to do is educate the public. I mean, how many of your viewers out there know of a, maybe a, a relative out there that sees a tweet or a Facebook post and take it at face value? Uh, part of the process is educating folks, and, and many of them are seniors, to let them know that, look, that person may not even be real. That tweet, probably not real at all. And so that is, that's the second part of this that we need to do is a lot of education of our population. So the, um, so the governor also announced earlier this month that he would like to make it illegal for politicians to lie about election fraud. And I'm wondering, what, what do you think of that proposal? Well, our office is not gonna take a stance at this moment because we haven't really, I haven't really even seen the whole proposal um, and the fact that we need to, I mean, I don't even know if it's constitutional or unconstitutional. Um, so we'll see what happens in the process, but can't, but you can see the frustration, right? I mean, the governor was frustrated, just like the 
population of the state and the United States of people poking holes at our democratic system of, demo, you know, our democracy of elections, because look, the governor was attacked in his own mansion. So, you know, of course he, he's concerned about it. Um, and many people across the United States are concerned about it. Um, so, I mean, but it does speak to uh, the fact that when it comes to misinformation, there are a couple of different things going on. You mentioned the misinformation that's spread on social media. You know, there, there also is, um, you know, there were a number of uh, efforts at uh, challenges to, um, to results at the local level in, in Washington state, even uh, following the 2020 election. They didn't get much attention because um, the, the results came back and the election and, and the vote was, um, was very close. But there were certainly people in, in leadership positions um, uh, who were uh, calling into question the results in Washington state. Um, and so I wonder, you also have um, three of your former legislative colleagues who, it came out, attended an event that spread mi misinformation about the 2020 election. Um, and I'm curious, have you spoken with any of them? I haven't spoken to them about this particular issue, but I have dealt with them on, on different issues when I was a state senator. But what you're bringing up is the fact that here you actually have legislators that don't know uh, what we do in this state and how secure our election system here is in this state. Uh, we have logic tests. We There are audits that goes on, and perhaps they don't know that. And the other thing that your viewers need to know is that a lot of this is done at the county level. And we'll have Democrats and Republicans, in fact, they're required to be at the place when they're being counted, at the, at the uh, auditor's office when they're being counted. Maybe they didn't know that. I don't know. I'll have to bring them in and talk to them. But it is frustrating when you have elected officials trying to propose bills that do away with mail-in voting and somehow think that we can process millions of ballots in a single day. Um, you're going to have the same situation that you've seen on the news of these long lines and voter suppression. And that's what we don't want to do. This state has been great at being allowed, allowing everyone to have a chance to vote if they're eligible and to think that it favors one side or the other is simply not true. And I know this because I was in the minority when I was in the Senate because the people of Washington State voted to, to flip the Senate. So maybe it's something I need to do to reach out to those, uh, those, those representatives and senators out there that don't understand what is going on in our state. So, I mean, do you view that as a responsibility of your office to actually um, to, to use it as almost a, a, a bully pulpit to 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 really bring in individual members who who are who are falling out of line? Oh, absolutely. And it, not just me, but I think it's uh, it's you uh, doing this show. It's uh, our county auditors. It's uh, our other citizens and maybe, a, you know, a House member has a senator. The senator can talk to that House member. We all got to communicate how important it is that our election system is secure, is safe, is transparent. Um, otherwise, we're going to have outside actors continue to undermine our elections and to think that perhaps that this isn't the democracy that we think it is.
Okay, so in the interest of clarity, I just want to clarify that um, that Governor Inslee was not uh, personally attacked last January 6th, but that his governor's mansion was uh, was attacked. Just I know that that wasn't what you were trying to say, but um, just in reference to um, to a previous comment from you. Right. right. Um, well, I think we can uh, all agree when your house is being broken into, <laughs> it's going to freak you out. <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. But just wanted to be clear on that point. Right. Um, okay, so as I noted in the introduction, uh, the two voting rights bills uh, at the federal level appear to be stalled in the Senate, though it looks like there will be some debate this week. How would the failure of Democrats to get either of those pieces of legislation passed affect your job? Well, the great thing is, is we've, we're doing like 90% of it already. So there's really not much of a failure. I mean, the things in those bills that maybe we haven't done is uh, we haven't made, you know, election day a holiday. But funny thing is, I actually introduced a bill probably the first couple of years when I was in the Senate to make um, the election a, a holiday. So maybe we get to do that again. Now, unfortunately, we all have to work here in the Secretary of State's office when that's going on. But I wouldn't be opposed to that. But there's very few things in those federal bills that we need to do because we're doing most of it. Um, I don't think it's the failure of the Democrats. I think it's the failure of America if we don't pass these things because we have to allow people the opportunity to vote and not be suppressed. There are disenfranchised communities, underserved communities out there that are not having the opportunity to vote. You saw the long lines out there. I mean, how sad is that? I, you know, you, you try to go to vote and because you're working a job to support your family, you didn't make it in time to get to the very to, to the very end of the line. That's not right. And it's a good thing here in Washington State that you can vote early, so you don't have to worry about that. Uh, you can put your you can put your ballot right in your mailbox, or you can drop it off at our many ballot boxes that we have across the state. So the the long lines have been a part of, of elections for for a while now, um, but uh, the the landscape is changing, um, you know. I, and and I wondered what what you make of the laws that are being passed by Republicans in other states to change the way that elections are run. I think we're looking at thirty two laws in seventeen states that um, that make some changes uh, at the at the local level in uh, in how elections are run. Um, of course, Washington state is not one of those states, but I'm curious from your perch, uh, what's your view on what Republicans are doing? Well, I, I, want, I want to make this very clear because it's not all Republicans. It's probably the most extreme of Republicans. There's plenty of Republicans out there. Kim Wyman is one of them that would disagree with members of her own party out there. So I would say the extremists and those that really hold on to the Trump ideology are the ones that are suppressing the voters. And, and my feeling of that is, well, that's sad because we're taking a step backwards. We're walking all, all over the uh, voter protections that were put in this country. And unfortunately, the Supreme Court shut it down. And so the only way to get that back is through federal legislation. And it, it saddens me that it's sitting in, in D.C. right now and not passing. So hopefully uh, there will be some some way, some compromise uh, that will allow that bill to get through. Um, I mean, do you play a role at all? I just wonder if you, like, do you have conference with other secretaries of state in states that are impacted here? Um, you know, what what is your personal role? Um, do you have any, if you have any at all? Well, I, 
So there is a, um, an association, uh, the National Association of Secretaries of State. So I am part of that. There's also a, an associate, I guess, caucuses within that association. There's a, so there's a Republican Association of Secretaries of State. There's a Democratic Association of Secretaries of State. So, uh, yes, we're, we're a chatty bunch and uh, others are, you know, a lot of the secretaries kind of admire what we're doing here because we've basically fallen the federal legislation, except for a few things that I just mentioned. Hmm. Um, so you mentioned uh, uh, Kim Wyman earlier, um, and I'm curious about your relationship uh, with her. Uh, of course, she works in the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency now. Uh, have you spoken with her since taking office? And if so, what, what's the nature of those conversations? Uh, haven't spoken to her since I've taken office. We spoke a lot before I took office and um, hours of conversations actually helping me um, get into the getting to the role. And I commend uh, former Secretary Wyman for what she's done because she created a, a cybersecurity cell um, and then we're building upon it. Um, her her request to the the budget, the, the governor's budget before it was um, before I had to, I got to pull it back was um, having a a person that deals with misinformation disinformation. Uh, luckily, I was able to enhance that and expand upon it, um, and, and you see it in the governor's budget. But she started a, a lot of the programs that we are building upon in this office. Hmm. And is there, I mean, is the work that she's doing at the federal level is that going to impact Washington State at all? I mean, do you see? any uh, future collaboration there? Um, is she going to do us any favors? Oh, I, I mean, a absolutely. And this office is already uh, deals a lot with our, our federal partners in terms of cybersecurity. Uh, we, we've, in fact, I've had meetings with them. Um, but yes, I mean, it, because it's a big deal. Uh, you're having attacks um, against election systems from all kinds of actors, hundreds yeah. of them, thousands of them. And we need to be prepared uh, for the worst case scenario. So um, uh, former Secretary Wyman uh, has been praised by you here right now and, and you know, by many, many people. Um, but I'm curious, uh, you know, if, if, if there are, is any criticism that you have of um, the office that you inherited. And maybe not criticism, but what are the things that your office is going to do that maybe Kim Wyman's uh, Secretary of State office did not do? So I, one of the things that Kim Wyman didn't do is mostly because of time. And she knew that she was going to leave for the Biden administration before she made her announcement to the governor. So some of the things that she didn't put into place that I've already done, uh, you know, I have the vaccine mandate uh, doing some minor decision-making on the new library that's coming up. Uh, there was a, um, some rulemaking that needed to be done on protecting digital signatures, which by the way, we need to protect our digital signatures. Um, and so th those are the things that she did. Oh, and then on top of that, I, being able to, um, enhance the budget request, uh, that Kim had. So, Came out of budget request. I came in a little late after the, the deadline, but luckily the governor in the Office of Fiscal Management was uh, allowed me to resubmit a budget hmm. that could re reflect the security needs and demands of this office. 
so, so just to clarify, what, was it your understanding that Kim Wyman would have instituted a vaccine mandate for the Secretary of State's office if she had remained in, um, in office? That I don't know. I just okay. telling you that I decided to put the vaccine mandate on right. there. Uh, it's just to me, uh, having been activated in the National Guard for almost over a year and a half, uh, you know, dealing, being on the front line of it, and my wife working in a nursing home, so in the healthcare, uh, it, I just felt we had to do it. I, I did not want to see any of my employees get hurt or die from this horrible disease that's has ha that's been happening. I, I felt really bad when the trooper, when I was the chair of the transportation committee, we had a trooper pass away. He was in his mid thirties. He had two boys. He was not an anti-vaxxer. It was simply, he was, I, apparently I heard he was just too busy. And so can you, I, I just feel like I'm saving lives by doing this. And I know there's a few folks that probably will disagree with me, but those are very few. Those are very few people. Uh, so back to you mentioned the governor's uh, budget. So one item in there is um, six, uh, over $600,000 to expand access to the ballot in county jails. Was that an addition by you or was that something you inherited from uh, from uh, Wyman's office? No, actually, that was a go governor request in, in his uh, budget. Oh, OK. Um, and uh, so I, I, I want to use that as a way to sort of just open up a conversation about access. Um, uh, are you uh, putting a greater emphasis on access um, in, in your administration? Uh, and if so, what are the efforts to expand access that are underway? Uh, absolutely. Uh, one of the big deals is just informing people that they can, uh, you know, they have the ability to vote in the, in the state. We're going to reach out to tribal communities, the underserved uh, communities across the state. A lot of the money, one thing I, I you know, we didn't talk about is outreach, outreaching, outreaching to these communities that haven't been outreached. And, you know, part of it has to do with the pandemic as well that's been happening. But we want to go to every naturalization ceremony that we can go to to register these new Americans, these new citizens to vote, to be part of the process. And so, yes, we're putting a lot of effort into that um, as well. Um, so. Uh, how do you how do you identify uh, the populations that you need to reach out to? I mean, certainly, you know, a naturalization ceremony uh, that that's a clear outreach opportunity. But um, but how are you going about finding out who needs to get this message? Certainly, I mean, we obviously will have we have demographics and, and data, and we already know that uh, we need to go to the tribes, uh, and and many have asked for that. Uh, we'll try to do what we can to help the tribes, um, other underserved communities as um, that, you know, obviously the naturaliza naturalization ceremonies that we'll be at. Um, and a lot of it has to do with language, right? So we have to make sure that we have enough um, information out there and the proper language of their particular, where they came from, their home country, because they may not know English, you know, coming here and to assist um, th these folks that want to take part in the, the process of of democracy in Washington state. Hmm. Um, all right. Kim Wyman talked about making the secretary of state's office a nonpartisan office. Do you support that idea? I mean, if the bill passed, I, I, I'm fine with that. I mean, I would have no problem supporting a, you know, I'm not a senator anymore, but 
I, I have no problem with that. But right now, it is a partisan office. Is that something that you would push and promote, though, rather than uh, simply accepting? Well, the thing is, is that it has to do with the fact of, you know, you only have so many opportunities to pass your your um, your policies. And that if I felt like if I was going to do that bill, then maybe I'd lose another bill because I have a bill that's trying to protect digital signatures. I'm trying to pass my my budget request. And what I want don't want to do is have it all muddied up and lose an opportunity. Maybe it's something in the future, but right now when I just got in here, I really want to concentrate on the security of our election system. So cybersecurity, uh, combating misinformation and disinformation and doing voter outreach. Um, that's why I'm trying to focus on those areas. All right. Uh, okay, I'm gonna take a moment and just talk to uh, the audience at home. We do have a Q&A coming up in about 10 minutes, so please get your questions in for Secretary Hobbs. Um, and I want to take a step away from elections for a moment and talk politics, uh, if you don't mind. Um, it, so it's no secret that your departure from the state legislature removes an obstacle for the more progressive members of your party, including the governor. And as a more moderate Democrat, what are your concerns when you look at the current legislative session? Well, you know, I've been there for 15 years and... Um... I, I don't see anything different. It, it's the typical situation where you have, you know, party who's in charge and they're trying to pass their policies. It's no different when the Republicans were in charge. Um, we've got some really good moderates over there. Uh, Mark Mullet, um, Annette Cleveland, Kevin Vandeway. There are others on different issues. So I, I think that the Senate and the House are going to do fine on trying to uh, pass bills that move our state forward. Now, obviously, there'll be some things that I disagree with, but that's the democratic process. And the great thing is this all gets sorted out at the ballot box in November. So if they go too far, that party could lose power. Hmm. Are you, uh, um, do you miss, do you miss it? I mean, like you said, you've been doing it for 15 yeah. years. Uh, is it weird to have a January where you're, you're not starting a new session? Well, you know, on, on the first day of session, I, I was here. I'm in it, so I get to <laughs> right. still play uh, in regards to my own my own bills and legislative priorities. So it, it does. I don't really leave it. Right, right. Um, so uh, you know, you you have been an outspoken moderate. Um, what do you think about the debate within your party at the national level? Do you think Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema are being treated fairly? You know, as someone who represented a swing district and being a centrist Democrat, and still a centrist Democrat, it's tough, no doubt about it. What I like to do is understand where other people are coming from. And I wish everyone would do that. Because here's the thing, I don't bemoan my colleagues who represent Seattle districts because those are uber progressive. And so of course they can't vote my way. My hope is, is that everyone will understand the situation of, the, of where you live, right? So for example, Joe Manchin, was it West Virginia? I mean, do you really expect him to vote with the Democrats every single time? I think we've got to, parties have got to take a step back and go, you know what? Uh, if you're, you're the Democrats and go, you know, we're not happy with Joe Manchin not voting our way. 
But thank God that he's there because we're in the majority. And sometimes, well, actually, it seems to happen almost all the time, as the years go on, as parties hold on to power, whether you be a Republican or Democrat, you forget that. And you go after the very moderates that put you there in the first place because you want purity. And unfortunately, that happens on both sides of the aisle. And I'm just hoping that maybe there'll be a day where we can all take a step back and go, you know, I wonder, I wonder if that person is representing their district. Because at the end of the day, that's what democracy is. That's why you get elected. You're elected by the people, and they expect you to represent them. So, yeah, I know you're upset with Joe Manchin. I, I'm upset with him on, on some of these issues. But guess what? He represents West Virginia. It's a pretty conservative state that voted very heavily for Trump. Mm -hmm. hmm. Okay, so uh, a final question from me before we move over to uh, the the audience questions. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about um, about the election that you're going to be actually uh, in um, in this coming November. I know that you cannot talk about uh, the particulars of that election, but I wanted to ask you about just sort of like a, a, a more sort of general question. Um, and that is, how do you run a campaign likely against a Republican candidate while at the same time trying to build trust with the Republican electorate within your role as Secretary of State? Certainly, it's going to be the same way I did it in the in the state Senate, because in order to win my district, I, I had to have, gain the trust of Republicans. Otherwise, I was going to lose the election. And that is no different. I'm, I'm not going to change who I am. I, I'm a moderate. I'm a centrist. And I'm going to try to reach out to Republicans as well as my own party as Democrats and independents. And I get along. I think right now we have... Um, uh, Senator Wagner, who's the senator who filed against me, and we're friends. In fact, uh, when I was on National Guard duty running his food bank in his district, I met him many times to have him to introduce him to my soldiers that were helping his community. So I, I don't think that's going to change for me. And I, I, to me, that's not a problem because I've done it so many times. And what? And uh, an additional question on here is just. I mean, as I noted, your office has been held by a Republican for over 50 years, statewide office in Washington state. Um, uh, what does, do you feel like there's particular challenges uh, just because the state is accustomed to voting for Republicans for this office that you face? I, I think there are definitely folks, uh, I'd say mostly on the Republican side, not all of them, right? There's a few it's like that feel that this needs to remain in Republican controlled hands. But um, I don't like it doesn't weigh on me that often simply because, look, the circumstances, the way they were, is the reason why you had Republicans here, because Kim Wyman was a good secretary of state. Right. And, and she knew what she was doing and she was right for the job. Same with Sam Reed, same with Ralph Monroe. And so now we're at an age where we are worried about cybersecurity and misinformation. There's a different skill set that's needed for this office. And so that's why, you know, some that the governor, well, some say that the governor picked somebody, and I believe this, that understood the need and the nexus of protecting our election system and national security. And so that's why I was picked for this job.
We'll be back with more after this. Dreaming of a long-awaited vacation? Take your travels to the next level with Alaska Airlines. They're committed to providing a higher standard of safety and cleanliness throughout your journey. From mask requirements and touch-free options to HEPA filters on board and fresh air every two to three minutes. Plus, their award-winning loyalty program, Mileage Plan, makes it easy to earn and redeem miles wherever you go, including destinations worldwide, thanks to their One World Alliance membership. If you're ready to land a low fare, next-level care, and the best experience in the air, book now at alaskaair.com. All right, uh, so that's it from me, uh, but let's move to the audience. These are the tough questions, so I hope you're ready. Um, so uh, from Sue, do you deal with misinformation from China and Russia, I think in a different way than you do domestic threats? And so I guess what's the balance there as far as looking at, non, at um, uh, actors from out of, uh, out of state? No, it'd be, it'd be the same for any, like any tweet or, or Facebook post would be treated the same. So we have to validate you know, is it true or not true? Is this person real or not real? Um, and, and that's how we'll we'll approach it. So but, it's really it's really about about engagement at the point of sort of of impact uh, yes. rather than yeah okay yes because it doesn't matter where it comes from the threat will be the same and, and quite frankly uh, those outside actors are going to disguise themselves as locals anyway. Right, right. Okay, from Bruce. Do you think about reaching out to voters in Eastern Washington differently than Western Washington? You certainly, you talked about, um, about uh, tribal communities, um, but, but what about uh, in general, um, what's your, your answer to that? No, I, absolutely, there's, there's different needs. There's, um, it's a lot more rural and, uh, in Eastern Washington, and there's different concerns in there. And obviously there's probably more distrust just because there's, more Republicans in Eastern Washington, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't service them because we should. And so I look forward to talking to those communities about the security of our election system, maybe bring out some of the folks, some of the Republicans that actually are there counting the ballots in the auditor's office and the Democrats that are there. So no, I, I look forward to going across the state. Um, from Carol, how do you deal with candidates that just won't concede after they've clearly lost an election? So we're seeing more of this, I think, you know, uh, across the country and, and yes, even in our own state, I believe we have a, a Republican candidate for governor who has yet to concede um, a year after the election. What, uh, yeah, is there anything that the Secretary of State's office uh, should be doing about this? Um, is there... Uh, is there a danger in this? What, what's your take on? Uh, no, there's really nothing that we can do about it. I mean, the, the nature of elections kind of fix themselves. I mean, you don't have to concede at, um, at election. Uh, a lot of people don't. It's not just uh, who, who I think you're, you're, the viewer was thinking about. Um, it happens all the time because the election is certified and the right person that won the election will be sworn in. So it, what it is, is uh, it's unfortunate, especially at that level, because they're just feeding into the, the false narrative that our election systems aren't secure. It's it's actually it's also sad that you can't get your message across. So in a way to say that you're you had the right message is you 
try to say that the election was um, was false. And uh, that's a dangerous road to follow. Uh, so I've got a question here from Ellen, which I think uh, everybody who um, who casts a ballot will be um, is curious curious about as well. Many people say that they find the advisory votes confusing. They're first on their ballot, and voters often don't know a lot about them. Do you support either abolishing advisory votes or moving them to the end of the ballot? Uh, yes, those are annoying. <laughs> but and, and remember how you asked me that question? Well. Would you support that, you know, making the office nonpartisan if there's a bill? That that is another example of like, well, yeah, but I, I've got to get this, I've got to get the security issue first and combating misinformation and disinformation. I think there are a couple bills out there that do address that there and maybe they'll come across. Uh, we'll see what happens in the end. But uh, uh, yes, uh, your viewer out there is spot on, on on some of that. So annoying, but not a top priority. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, a question from another viewer named Sue. Um, you keep mentioning Twitter and Facebook. Uh, where else is your office looking for misinformation? Um, we've heard about misinformation spreading in other places like Reddit. You know what's being done. So, wh so where are you looking, um, and how are you making sure that you're that you've got all your bases covered? There's a lot of social media, uh, new social media ventures popping up. Um, where uh, misinformation might be even more uh, of an issue. So how are you keeping track of these things? Yes, uh, thank you, Sue. Uh, yes, that is absolutely right. Uh, there are more. I just I just tend to go to those two because everyone knows them. Uh, but you're right, I could spend uh, probably five minutes naming them all. I mean, there's a lot out there. And we will be looking at, at all of them, uh, no doubt about it, because um, people, <laughs> the people who are trying to attack us use all the forms of social media. But is there, I mean, is there a, like, is there a particular person in the office or, I mean, how do you identify new, um, yeah, exactly, like walk mm -hmm. us into the details a little bit about how exactly the, the cybersecurity um, effort works here. So I, I can't go into too much detail about the cybersecurity for, for obvious reasons. And, right, I, right. and you got to remember, cybersecurity deals with the direct we'll call them, uh, I'm just trying to make it simplistic, direct electronic attacks to our our, our systems, right? right so right. our servers and computers, et cetera, et cetera. Misinformation and disinformation is, is a separate thing. And right. so Thank you. what we will do is um, I'm going to bring in experts, experts that have actually did this overseas combating terrorist groups and other nation states. And so we're going to have to take that approach um, when dealing with the misinformation and disinformation here. Okay. Um, all right, from Mark, are there areas that Dems and Republicans can agree on when it comes to election security? Uh, we're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, a, a lot of divisiveness on this issue. Where can people come together? What are you finding? Oh, yes, absolutely. Cybersecurity is number one. Uh, I talked to Senator Braun, the uh, minority leader in the Senate, and I have a good, good relationship with him. And, and the great thing about uh, Senator Braun is he is just like me. He's in the, he's in the military. He, I think he, he might have just retired, but he understands the importance of cybersecurity and combating misinformation and disinformation. So, yes, there, there are a lot of agreements that we can have uh, with Republicans and Democrats. Um, and then a question from Carol. Um, 
Oh, oh no, I'm sorry. Uh, not from Carol. We already asked Carol's question. From <laughs> Jeff. Uh, sorry. Uh, how worried should we be that people just won't trust elections anymore? And I guess in this question is really uh, about kind of how you approach a portion of the electorate that seems um, that it has, has given up on elections for a number of different reasons. Um, you know, how much of an effort do you put into it? Um, and then how do you how do you talk to those um, to those potential voters? Uh, very carefully and consistently yeah. and uh, with respect. And, you know, yes, uh, Jeff, you're absolutely right. I mean, at some point you just get frustrated because you can't, you know, get through to them. And I'm sure some of your viewers probably have a relative, right, that uh, you, uh, you when you see their name pop up on your cell phone, you're just like, oh, man, I got to talk to this person again. Um, no, I get, I get it. But we just got to be consistent about that. But the other thing about this is that we need to educate the young people too so that we create a generational trust in our election system that we have lost. And so finding ways to reach out to young people um, is something that I would like to do in this office. So just zeroing in though, maybe on a particular uh, part of the electorate, um, maybe people who, uh, who think that January 6th was, um, was a, a rightful act in some way, are those people beyond um, uh, reach or uh, is there an effort to, um, to try to bring them back into the fold? You know, I'm a man of redemption. So uh, I like to think I, we could reach out to them and I think as a community, as a whole, as a society, that hopefully we can bring those folks around. At least that's my hope anyway. Um, all right, Secretary Hobbs. Uh, that's it for readers' uh, questions from the audience. So uh, thank you so much for uh, talking with us today. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for inviting me. And that's it for today's episode. Thanks to Secretary Hobbs for the talk, and thanks also to the folks in the audience who asked questions. If you'd like to be one of those audience members for a future CrossCut event, go to crosscut.com events. This episode of CrossCut Talks was engineered by Seth Halloran. The live recording was engineered by Rusty Bacall and Victoria Ralph, and the event was produced by Jake Newman and Andrea O'Meara. And Chris Novich managed our audience engagement. If you'd like to subscribe to Crosscut Talks, you can do just that wherever you listen. For the latest political, environmental, and culture news from the Pacific Northwest, visit crosscut.com. And if you would like to support the work that we do at Crosscut, whether it's the live events we host every month or the in-depth reporting we deliver every day, go to crosscut.com donate. Crosscut Talks is a product of Cascade Public Media. I'm Mark Bumgarten. We'll be back soon with another conversation.